Welcome to Podcast to the Church. This is a limited series podcast from Indie Thinker where we're going to be doing something I think very important. We're going to be talking about current events and give a Christian perspective to those things because I really believe they're the cure. Now, we're going to be doing that in a special way too. We're going to be doing that with conversations. So each episode of this podcast will feature three men who are going to be joining us. I'll introduce them in just a moment, and then we'll always have a special guest alongside of us to try to help us discuss current events that are going on and, again, to give a Christian perspective to to all of those things. And the reason that that is so important is that I believe conversation is the cure in this way. You're going to be going out having conversations about things that are happening in the world. And we want to make sure that you're informed and you have some of the kind of conversations modeled for you here that you may be having out uh, as you go into your workplace or to the supermarket or even with your family, with your kids. And we want to try to give you some information here and at least try to show you what those conversations might look like. And then the second thing, and probably the most important thing, is you're going to be having conversations with yourself. And I believe that the only cure for seductive lies is a strong worldview. So in order for your faith to grow and in order for you to truly be able to know how to respond and what to think about these things is you're going to have to have those kind of conversations with yourself. And it's my hope that as we do that here today, we'll give you some kind of things to think on and some things to just reflect on so that you can ask yourself, what do you believe about these issues? And more importantly, what what does God have to say about these things? So we're going to try to do that in the midst of giving our thoughts on all of these things as much as possible. So let me introduce you real briefly to some of the people who are going to be joining us today and moving forward. So to my right is the guy that we had to make sure didn't bring the Alex Jones t-shirt. This is Spencer Stewart. (laughs) And then to his right, we have the guy that cannot stand the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Every time he hears it, he grits his teeth and curses under his breath, even I'm, when in church. I'm a kind Jesse, Calvinist, bro. Okay. <laughs> and then, um, of course, across from him, we have Chris Johnson. Some of you may have seen Chris on the show before, uh, but I like to consider Chris Johnson kind of like a Steve Jobs, but his kids actually like him. And then to my life, to my left, is the pastor for each and every one of us, Frank Ransor. Thank you for being here, Pastor. Mm. Before we jump into our first topic of what we're going to talk about today, I just want to quickly ask you now that we're all gathered in the room together, who is in this room right now your favorite church um, church parishioner? <laughs> and you don't don't worry about sparing their feelings. You can be honest with them. It, that's a great question. Um, I have no favorites. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I, you wouldn't dare. You wouldn't dare. I, I like the Alex Jones guy. I like my. <laughs> I like my profoundly. I've got a supremely educated man here. I've got a man who is educated, but also. I like the juxtaposition. Yeah, no, he's educated. He's, educated, he's, handsome. We can. Yeah, he can have both. Cold plunge, Doctor Paul. I love him. <laughs> so uh, and uh, I appreciate you as well. So well, thanks. What a gift. Uh, rave reviews. I can't, can't thank you enough for that. <laughs> All right. So suffice to say, uh, we want to take just a moment to talk about what is on the tip of everyone's tongue. We want to talk uh, first and foremost about Israel. So 
Um, obviously, on October 7th, Israel experienced one of the worst terror attacks um, in their history, especially since the Holocaust. Um, and since then, there's been an ongoing war in, in Gaza. And there's a lot of conversation about um, how much is too much. Like the, the, the youth pastor question, how far is too far? So is Israel going too far in their retaliation against uh, Palestinians, um, and uh, specifically in trying to target Hamas, are there Palestinians that are standing in the way? And is that, at what point do we say, hey, um, that's too much, and proportionality kind of kicks in, and you say, hey, this is not proportional to what took place on October 7th. So these are a lot of the narratives that we're hearing. We as Christians especially are going to hear this because there is this um, incentivization to um, to defend Israel, but I think that incentivization is also kind of waxing um, waxing old. And uh, a lot of people are um, wearing as a badge of honor the the inability to defend Israel right now. And w along with that, and this is the reason I think it's important for us to talk about it, guys, is along with that is the inability to be able to tell two things apart from each other, you know, uh, to, to make it indistinguishable to look at apples and oranges. So uh, suffice to say, shortly after that attack on October 7th, Free Palestine protests, and oddly enough, Eerily enough, and maybe you guys got something to say about this, uh, eerily enough, um, not really many pro-Israel uh, pro protests, right? So this all took place in Washington, D.C. So you can see this is uh, people putting kefas on statues, and then Palestinian flags being placed in the hands of some of these statues, of course. And this is going to, this, this next part will come by pretty quick. Um, so I'll kind of explain what's going on here. So this is in the aftermath. This is some spray paint that's on the walls um, here in D.C. of uh, some of these free Palestine mm -hmm. protests. So you see glory to the martyrs here, of course, at the beginning of that. Mm -hmm. And then this one here, I believe, says death to Israel. So very, very nice. These people, a expletive. Mm -hmm. And then the word Israel, this last one you will see says Gaza will win. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about here, but the first thing I want to do, and I want to turn this to you, Pastor Frank, um, what we're hearing a lot about what is taking place, the reason for these free Palestine protests, um, when, we, when we bring up the idea that what happened on October 7th is so horrific and disgusting, we get a lot of people who are willing to agree with that, sure enough. But then um, to justify that, we're hearing a lot of people say something to the effect of this. This comes in the aftermath of 75 years of neo-colonial oppression. People can only take so much. And obviously, Palestinians have the right to defend themselves. Before we get into the whole idea of 75 years of colonial oppression, what are your thoughts in terms of the justification for what took place on October 7th and using that as, as justification? Well, to first, let's just take a look at what actually did happen. Mm. There, there isn't any kind of, nothing could justify that kind of, that was, it was barbaric, it was, it was perverse, it was, um, it, 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 it's, it'll leave you speechless. I mean, so 
this idea that there was some kind of 75 year pent up oppression that finally this was justified. It's just, it just has no merit. There's no, there's nothing sound in it. There's nothing appropriate about it. And then, so at first, well then, and then you move to this idea of proportionate, a proportionate response, proportional, you know, well, what, what would that in? Yeah. What exactly would that entail? What's the number? Going in, well, I mean, to be precise, you'd go, well, how many babies were decapitated? How many women were raped? Uh, to, to, you know, um, how many... Um, so you sit there and go, so to, to, to be proportionate, we would have to go into what, to Gaza somewhere and uh, find the exact, find a little city that was, you know, equal to one of these little kibbutz, these communities that were peacefully existing and go into some homes and just begin to exact the proportion, equal amount of, uh, but, but, you, but this isn't even, I mean. Well, it's not only untenable, there's a willful blindness to this, right? Because I, when we talk about war, which is what is going on over there, and obviously I know that for many, especially the people who we just saw protesting, uh, they haven't seen really war in their lifetime, so I guess they don't have a frame of reference for that, and maybe that gives them an out, but the, there's a willful blindness in that, we all know that there are casualties of war. It's an unfortunate reality. So there's this willful blindness that they're willing to, to forget the fact that, first of all, that Hamas is keeping citizens there um, volitionally. Like their leaders, the leaders of Hamas are saying, hey, you Palestinians stay here because we need martyrs for the cause. Um, so there's a total disregard of that. Now, I don't expect a lot of people to even know that because they don't know what's going on. But what they should know is that, hey, there's something like Tens of thousands of people, I think the number is something like 98,000 people, uh, German civilians that were killed in World War II, 98,000. And so you think to yourself, well, at that point in time, if the British are killing 98,000 German civilians, does that make the British evil for killing, um, for nobody, fighting World War II? No, nobody thought that way because, again, I, this, this, is just a, this is just another offshoot of the same sort of global narrative that's captivated, well, you know, it's infiltrated every institution, all the intelligentsia of everywhere. Sure. And it's, there's got to be a, an oppressor. There's got to be a victim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The victim, no matter what, is justified in whatever they do to throw off, you know, this mm-hmm. sort of this, you know, Israel has this Western colonizing, you know, sure. Sure. slur placed upon them. And yet, you know, the, Israel's existed a couple thousand years before there was a quote unquote West. So it, it just... And that's so. Initially, initially, you heard everybody come out because it was, it was uh, largely it, both sides of uh, the, our political space were like, "Hey, this is horrific, and Israel has a right to defend herself." But then it, everybody's now slowly, slowly beginning to back up. Yeah. Because, like you say, we we're, we are really the products here, uh, like Israel, of what seventy five years of peace. We we don't know any conflict. So, but we, we do know fairness. We've, we've got a new uh, sick and fasc- uh, fascination with fairness. Yeah, tolerance. For the last, yes, three or four decades, we've, you know, every kid gets a, a, a trophy because they just participated. And so we've got this sort of strange fascination with this idea of fair. And so, um, well, what's fair? What would you ask Israel? Yeah. And you're dealing with something entirely different. Well, I mean, the American left in particular, I think one of the reasons why the Americans are so interested in this idea, because I was listening to a podcast on Unheard as a sort of a, a contrarian-based uh, online journal, and 
and there was a there was a discussion uh, between a conservative and, and and someone who's a socialist, and they were kind of talking about this, and and uh, and he would the socialist was saying, hey, in Britain, <coughs> excuse me, in Britain we don't have that we don't have the same sort of level of reaction you guys have. <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> so. Um, in the United States, I think one of the reasons why progressive left is so interested in this is because it, it to them it sort of harkens back to the the manifest destiny kind of position, right? That that we have these Jewish settlers that are pushing into these Palestinian lands, right? And in the same way that the United States was, was driving into Native American lands and sort of taking these things, and we, you know, if we reframe everything according to sort of Howard Zinn's people's you know people's history of the United States, like. All of a sudden, this sort of starts smacking of that exact mm -hmm. sort of uh, a paradigm, right? What do you think about that? No, absolutely. I mean, that's why you get, you know, mm -hmm. some of our lead Congresswomen who who literally cannot bring themselves uh, to to tears. Just well, well, they can do that easily, <laughs> but to denounce, it, you know, the this just this slaughter. Yeah because it literally turns the entire narrative on its head. It blows, it blows it up completely. So they're just they're stuck. And you, and you just have to hope that, you know, within their souls, they might think differently if this would have come to their own home. Mm -hmm. But it, the narrative is completely blown up. And so they've got to hold to it. They won't, let, they won't you know, sort of uh, just simply look on and go, look at what it is that was just done to another human being, mm -hmm. to, to families that were dwelling peacefully in their homes. You know, Israel's been out of Gaza for 17 years. There hasn't been a Israeli footprint in Gaza at all. And yet you, you look on and go, we, we, we we're out. I mean, yeah. we've, we've backed up. We, you know, you can have, and of course, Hamas is, a, is an elected government power that um, Palestine, is under so it, it is a uh, it's a, it's a, it's it's to me it's 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 about that simple though I mean mm -hmm. something this evil can be accepted because it, you have to hold the narrative mm -hmm. that someone unjustly came somewhere else and took something that didn't belong to them yeah. and then because of that injustice whatever we choose to do from here on out. We not only should we tolerate, we should celebrate, and that's what we're watching. Classic <laughs> conflict theory. That's classic Hegelian dialectic conflict. Yeah. So yeah. it's rise it's, up and crush your oppressors. Yeah. Period. And and if you if an if we in the West continue to buy into the narrative that everything is this, mm -hmm. well, you you can't. I mean, I, I listened to a fella um, in I don't know, presently know the precise uh, setup of the government structure in, in Ireland. Mm -hmm. But Ireland's 94.1% white. So you've got a guy standing up in their parliamentary, or whatever, in their sort of governmental halls decrying the fact that every office and every significant office and everyone that has power, they're all white. And you're like, that's because your entire country is white. It's not because there's an oppression. It's hard to get diversity when 94% yeah, of your like, country is white. 94.1%, like how do you, I'm count. sure, in terms of the, the 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 literal sort of demographic makeup, you, yeah. you guys are probably overstaffed in some various places. But if but this is craziness. I mean, it's if every single solitary, if the only lens through which we look through life, at life and, and one another yeah. is where have where have I been oppressed? Where have you been the oppressor? Yeah. 
where have I been the victim? Where have you been the victim? This is a horrific, yeah. unbiblical, ungodly way to look at one another and to look at life. And this, this is what you get. This, this I believe, I talk a lot about uh, secularism on the show, and this is where I believe that this is coming from ultimately. G.K. Chesterton said this, that when you stop believing in God, it doesn't mean you believe in nothing. It means you're willing to believe in anything. Sure. So ultimately, um, another paraphrase of that is essentially this. You remove Christianity from the West, and the void is not going to remain empty. Something is going to take its place. And so ultimately, what we're seeing in real time is a post-Christian West responding without a moral framework. And so the only thing they can do, and maybe that's not fair because they do have a moral framework, it's just not Christian. Um, so the only thing you can do is replace what used to be a Christian way of looking at these things would be, hey, when somebody, well, actually, let's, let's hold off on the Christian framework because we'll get to that in a moment. But the idea of, is that you can only place in its place another moral framework. And what we're deferring to very often, and it sure seems like it, is the the kind of neo-Marxist worldview of power dynamics that ultimately if anybody is has less power than somebody else, then that person has to have every institution influence um, whatever is necessary to restore that power imbalance, which ultimately just means destroy everything if, that, if, if that's what it takes. Um, and, the, and the only problem with that is that that is a moral justification for almost any unthinkable act of evil you can possibly imagine. Yeah, I mean, that touches on the myth of neutrality, which is ultimately the heart behind secularism. Uh, it's Christ or chaos. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta take your pick. I mean, um, as Pastor Joel Webin says, if you want the principles of Christ without the person of Christ, you're never gonna get the peace of Christ. Mm. Right? He, he, he similarly, well, another guy actually, Jeff Durbin, part of Apologia there in Phoenix, he says, trying to reform culture in the absence of Christ is like us rearranging furniture in a burning building. Mm. The whole thing's going down. All right, so the, this, this myth of neutrality where we, we believe that there is some sort of categorically, ethically neutral standpoint from which we can engage cultural issues, I think is a misnomer. Mm -hmm. You got to take a stand. You got to take a choice. And it's, it's Christ or chaos. It is interesting. One of the things that's fascinating right now is um, in this culture war presently, not if we set aside Israel for a second, because I think it's that's beyond culture, although it has a cultural application. Sure, but, I, but it is interesting to me that um, when you look on, you, you are finding some strange allies. Meaning, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm reading books by men that I, prior to the last five, six years, I, I would have thought there's no possible way mm -hmm. that we would see eye to eye on anything based upon my biblical worldview. And yet, here recently I've discovered that we are actually far more in alignment of what is transpiring culturally mm -hmm. than I am with some of the leading minds in the West, in the church, mm -hmm. with their Bibles open. Yeah. So you're, you're, that point is interesting because you, you can share a concern. Like we, we look at, I, I may with someone who's got an entirely different worldview, look on, and say, this is a problem. What we're facing right now, this sort of culture war based upon a power structure, that's a problem. We don't have to share conviction, like worldview convictions. They may live an entirely different lifestyle than I do, which, which we would probably say that our scriptures, or we would say our scriptures maybe would condemn. But then you could look on and say, but there is an ally, an unlikely ally, Strangely, I'm sort of more aligned with my brother, this friend here, this other hum human being created in God's image, 
on this particular issue because there are principles, you talked about that, that's a great quote, but there are principles that are just true regardless of if you have the person of Christ or not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm a follower of Christ by His amazing grace. Some of my allies, strange allies, are not. And yet, we share the concern, but the concern is based upon a, a, a biblical premise, a premise of what is true, yeah. you know, team reality versus team, like, what is this? True. And I, that's curious to me, because I, yeah. I, I've never been in a place like I have been in these, these last couple of years where I thought to myself, yeah. No, I wouldn't imagine that uh, we would be uh, hanging and actually locking arms and going, if we don't partner together, culture, this culture will be shoved off the cliff, yeah. built upon principles that we know where they come from, came from. So that's a, that's that's a so, thought. So I, let me just insert this real quick and then you jump in, Jesse. Um, I, because I believe that the one thing that we used to share in common, whether we like to admit it or not, is social contract theory, that whether we knew it and were conscious of it, the one thing we shared in common was not Christ in, in America. Sure. <laughs> 100% right, this is, uh, goes without saying. But the one thing we used to share in common is a common sense of, I'll, I'll go as far as to say decency, but, but more importantly, a common sense of a basic set of morality that, that descends from Judeo-Christian values, that descends from scripture. And I think in our lifetime, we have seen that transition where we no longer share that in common. So now we can say, well, let's, let's agree to disagree. Well, we can't do that uh, anymore with the left. Or even this idea of um, we have more in common than we do different from each other. Well, I'm not so sure that's true anymore with a lot of people uh, on, the, on the left. So, we, so there's this idea of unity for the sake of unity, um, but there is no real unity without clarity. Um, as uh, Dennis Prager says that very often, I think it's totally right on. And um, so we can have this false sense of unity. We can call it tolerance. We can call it whatever we want to. But... Um, but because we no longer have a basic set of moral values in common, I think that's where a lot of the polarization is coming from and a lot of the disagreement is coming from. And that's why, uh, and I always hear in the back of my head, you find yourself having strange bedfellows. A lot of Christians will say, well, doesn't that tell you something? Uh, well, yeah, it tells me how messed up the church is becoming if we're not careful. But the fact that you can, I always have in the back of my head, Douglas Murray, a person who under normal circumstances, we would be like, well, there's a lot we don't have in common, but he's making sense in a way that other people are not. But out of these moments when the sort of the great um, uh, compromises that create uh, uh, movement in our culture yeah. happen, right? Yeah. So when we think about the Magna Carta, we think about, and I'm not necessarily going to go in the Enlightenment, we thought we think about the Constitution of the United States. This is a this is a social contract that's based on an objective reality that we all shared. Whether or not we shared it in in all the small details, we shared it in almost like an ecumenical way, right? Yeah. And it was and and we go, oh, here's a here's a platform of compromise that we can all understand because it's grounded on the same basic understanding, right? And those are always sort of springboards into uh, into sort of peace and prosperity. Mm -hmm. What were you going to say, Jess? Yeah, it's really good. It's really good stuff. So, irrespective of the degree to which we think it's relevant that those principles we're all sharing with those, say, non-Christians came from Christ or not, where I'd say that where it came from is really important because that has implications about where we're going. Sure. I'd say, you know what hell's full of? Conservatives. 
we know it's pulled a lot of progressives too. I thought you were going to have good intentions, but yeah, conservatives yeah. too. Yeah, conservatives too. Yeah, yeah, not just them. Don't, don't get the script <laughs> flipped. You know what team I'm on. But so I guess my concern is even a little bit evangelical too. That like is it? I've been dealing with this even in my own heart. Like to what degree is it an issue that I feel more kinship with my skeptic, non-Christian, hard riders mm-hmm. than I do with most of my evangelical dudes that are kind of left? To me, I think the answer to that question is is that you have to. I think we have to take seriously the gravity of culture. If we do, we understand that culture becomes a springboard for the gospel, for winning people to Christ. And I think, going back to social contract theory, I think that social contract does become a place in which the conscience of mankind is a little bit softened, as it were, and it provides an opportunity for us to to win people. So I, I think the atmosphere now, I think there's, you can argue that because we might get to this place where we're like Roman culture when the Christian movement first started and we can make gains in that culture more so than we can in kind of like a Bible Beltish culture. There may be an argument there that I'm willing to accept. However, I would just say um, that I think the culture that we're creating now is a challenge to the gospel. And what we want to do is we want to create a culture that makes it easier to share the gospel with people. And some, some are still going to argue with that. And I'll just say this. I understand the sentiment that we want to share the gospel from a jail cell, but I'm just telling you, like, you really don't want that for your kids, do you? You would much rather like to share it in a place that's a little bit more tolerable for, for Christianity. And so that's what, I think that's what I would say to kind of where the, like, the culture meets uh, Christianity and how, um, how the culture does matter as far as that's concerned. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, all right, so before we move on, uh, I do want to kind of establish with you guys uh, a conversation piece about what a Christian biblical perspective to what's going on in Israel looks like. We'll hear different things like, um, should Christians just blindly support Israel because that's God chosen, God's chosen land, regardless of regardless is a word, regardless of what they, uh, regardless of what they do, um, and do we really? Is it? Are we commanded in Scripture just to blindly support Israel? This kind of question that I think a lot of Christians are asking themselves right now. Now let's push aside for the moment because I think we dealt with that. The idea of. Um, I don't, we're not really talking about blind support, right? So let's, 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 let's be real about the fact that we just need, we live in a fallen world and an unfortunate reality of war is that people uh, die as a result of that, uh, evil people and, and good people. Um, so, uh, so maybe that's dealt with enough to just say, okay, so what does it look like then to support Israel? Should we support Israel as Christians? Well, I mean, why do we do anything? as Christians. I mean, you know, why do we take a position on anything at all as it relates to our culture, morality, mm-hmm. um, any of it? You know, we, we only, we do where our, where God's word isn't silent. And God's word isn't silent about Israel. God's word isn't silent about a support for Israel, not a blind support for Israel. In the end, you know, um, you know, there's a little bit of a discussion going on about who the real Israel is. Well, yeah. In the end, I mean, there's there's a great discussion about who the real church is. I mean, that this is sort of sovereign. That's sovereign, sort of material. I mean, uh, uh, land. I mean, that who is and who isn't really isn't in the end our role. But I, I think the scriptures are pretty clear in terms of a of a role for us to play as it relates to. To Israel, um, and uh, so, uh, but I, but that's just simply because 
we're a church and a, and a people that want to live, have our lives guided by what it is that God. So we've got, we're, we fly an Israeli flag in front of our church building, you know, probably long overdue. But that was, mm-hmm. a, you said earlier, what is it, what's it like to stand for Israel? Well, I mean, what's it like to stand for what the real definition of marriage is? What's, what's it like to stand? I mean, do we stand for anything? Is the church ever stand for anything? Does the gospel ever call us to stand for anything? And if so, why? Mm-hmm. Well, not because we have uh, an opinion on things of our own, but because we've got scripture that informs us. Yes, yeah, sure, there are, you know, manifold uh, interpretations, and there are all sort of various ideas, but it's it isn't largely that complicated. So, yeah, we we stand with Israel not blindly, mm-hmm. uh, not naively, any more than you know we love our country. We don't want to love our country because it's perfectly redeemed, or it's the church, or this is heaven, but we God sovereignly designed that we would be here. Acts 17 tells us this is, he put us here now. Um, As Israel had a particular specific divine role in history, Mm -hmm. so does the church have a specific divine role in history? Mm -hmm. I'm here now for a particular reason. We brothers are facing what we're facing today for a particular divine reason. Will we rise up and and meet that challenge? Will Will we play the part that God's assigned us to play? Um, are we willing to stand for what is just true, period? You know, Israel is sort of a little microcosm of the larger thing that we're facing in culture. Will the church stand for anything when in an age that the, it seems that the, the the new mantra for the church is to stand for nothing? Because if you do, you might alienate someone or you yeah. might offend somebody. And, and of course, no true child of God is out to alienate or offend anybody. But then again... There are things that we know to be true that we, we've got to defend, we've got to stand on, because they really aren't ours, they're His. Mm-hmm. And we're here, not for us, but for for His sake and His glory and His purposes. I mean, life is designed by Him. There's a way that it was meant uh, to be lived, and we're probably where we are here in the West, because we've just been, we've been, we've fallen in love with this neutrality idea, with it, we're just, we, we just, Picking a side is almost anathema in the church, right? That by itself mm-hmm. is almost petrifying to people. Take a yeah, side. I, I, the neutrality language, I, I, I know what you mean. Uh, I, I, I would say, I would add to that, though, that the neutra- it's neutrality based on, on a belief that everyone has a narrative that's valid, right? It's sort of the micro-narrative belief, right? That my micro-narrative over, overrides your macro-narrative, right? And that, and that we have to be neutral in order for you and I to get along, because you have your truth, I have my truth. Right. right? Yeah. And I so think, there's a postmodern kind of like underpinning. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's mm. I think that's the thing that informs that whole situation. So um, you know, it's when I think about kind of neutrality or think about like sort of non-interventionists, uh, the United States prior to World War One, really. You know, we had the military is roughly the size of Romania's. You know, at that point, you know. We, I think of like a very different sort of mentality when we're kind of being neutral, Switzerland being neutral, as opposed to this idea that like I am going to stand in abject cowardice, right? Because I, because I, I don't want. I'm so grossly don't want to offend you or like stamp on your truth, and I don't want you to do the th- the same thing to me. Would you Would you say that that would be kind of? I'm. I agree. That's fantastic, and I I would I would say that the. The maybe the most troubling bit is the the, the reference that you made to the cowardice. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, in, in, in the book of Revelation, there's a group of people that will be cast eternally into a lake of fire, and the list begins with the cowardly. Mm-hmm. And, and the list includes, it starts with cowardice, but within the list is the murderer and the adulteress and the, you know, and you're like, wow, I mean, cowardly hit tops the list. Yeah. So that's a searching question for the, us and the church in this age or any age. You know, I, I, a lot of the, a lot of the neutrality, a lot of the, you know, I don't want to offend, I don't want to step on any stuff, really doesn't have anything to do with a real respect for the other narrative sure. as much as it is. I'm just petrified mm. in this sort of age of cancel, you know, we're going to cancel you, you're going to lose your job, you know, you're going to be uh, persecuted for your narrow, righteous way. And of course, we all in this room sort of fit the category of the, we are the, I mean, this is a group of oppressors right here. I mean, we, yeah. we are oppressive men. I mean, you know, we, yeah, look at him. He's tatted up. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's just such a, it's, it's unbiblical. So it's, it's just altogether unbiblical. Um, that the whole framework that we've talked about before is to is to go through life with this lens of anything that you may have that someone else doesn't, you by virtue of the fact that you've got something that someone else didn't makes you a guilty, unjust oppressor. Yeah. With with no discussion about how you got where you got, what it cost you to get where you got, where you came from to, to get what you've got. It's all unjust. And the only solution, which is not a biblical solution, is to take from you, to rob from you, to give to someone that we could have a, a genuine conversation about as to like, why are you where you're at? Mm-hmm. You're, you are a son or daughter of creating the image of God with profound potential. Mm-hmm. Why is he where he is? Well, it's because he's white. It's because he's able-bodied. It's because he's male. It's because he's cisgendered and heterosexual. You just sit there and you go, see, these are the reasons. And you go, but but none of this is a biblical framework to, to look at another human being. And it certainly isn't a biblical framework to then to then weigh in and provide a solution for the injustice that doesn't even exist. It also robs us of Magaday, right? It robs us of this, like, the, the idea that, that we all have value because we're made in the image of God, right? Yeah. Like, at the sermon couple from a couple weeks ago, I implore people to go back and listen to uh, listen to your sermon when you're, you're, you're talking about the relationship between man and woman, and, and this is coming from, from Timothy. So, um, very challenging to me, because I started thinking about the idea of the complementary unequal, right? That we, we can be a complete whole by being two different pieces mm. of the same puzzle, right? And effectively, we want to rob that by basically saying everything has to be egalitarian, everything has to be flat, every it's all tit for tat, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. made me think of two quotes, two pastors. First one's you. Um, so congrats on that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, if I if I if, if I'm quoted as something to say the least. Big time. Let me, I don't want to mess up. I, I I collected it a while a couple months ago. You said and you just made me think of it something like. This modern and sort of neo-Marxist infatuation with equity is nothing more this and nothing more than envy in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Pastor Frank Ramsey, so you crushed that one. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. on being up here for good. <laughs> Second one you made me think about with the courage piece of Douglas Wilson, Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho. Just a beast. Um, he said, what is it? Something like desperate times 
call for faithful men, not careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Hmm. So I like to make not, not purely a biblical argument, not because I'm afraid to here, but simply because I'll be honest in terms of in this particular situation, I don't know where the scripture commands us uh, to lie, except in a more general way. Um, in, a, in terms of kind of morality and justice. So the way I like to talk about this is just simply this. Jesus is a, is, a, is a God of grace and justice. When he was on the cross, one thief went to heaven, the other criminal did not. Um, and the Bible consistently weighs this tension, Old and New Testament. And just because, and this is one of the things that I'm hearing too uh, on online spaces, uh, whenever Christians say they're in support of Israel, it's like, oh, okay, well, um, apparently we forgot about that new covenant thing. Um, so, and, and to me, that's a regurgitation, by the way, of a old heresy called Marcionism, where God's a different God in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. So we, I think we have to be careful of that. But, but more importantly, I like to pull away from that, too, for the sake of the person who may not share our, our, our worldview. But, but also, this is honestly where I'm at with this, is that when we look at justice, we see what happened on October, October 7th. We realize and kind of try to pull our mind out of the Western, Western prosperity mindset, and we realize who Israel is dealing with. You have to know. You, you cannot be naive here. You have to know that Hamas has to be wiped off the face of the map if Israel is ever to leave, live a peaceable existence. Um, and so the reality is, is that they need to do what is necessary to um, within within the confines of what it means to actually wage a just war. Uh, and we get some scripture for that, um, certainly Old Testament especially, not afraid to go there. Uh, but, but I also think in the New Testament. Um, but whatever is necessary to wage a just war, I think they are well within their right to wage this war and to support. Uh, and we should support them in their efforts to do so, because I believe that is only right and just. On the other hand, I would tell you this. I'm, I'm really concerned with the Free Palestine movement because I think ultimately it is an implicit endorsement of Hamas. And now people would say, would reject that by and large, I think, because I think a lot of the people who are protesting aren't evil, wicked people that are calling for genocide of the Jews. However, and they would tell you, they would say, hey, when I say Free Palestine, we're talking about Free Palestine from rocket attacks, Free Palestine from attacks from Israel. That's what they would say, Free Palestine. But it's odd that they don't say that. They just say Free Palestine, leaving you wondering, Free Palestine from what or whom? Um, so in other words, all I'm saying is they may not be explicitly supporting Hamas, but they are implicitly supporting Hamas by implication. And we have to be mindful of that. In the same way that we as Christians would say, you can't redefine marriage by implication because you're saying, I just want to do what's, what's, uh, what I want to do within the confines of my own house with my husband, if you're a man or something like that. But you're redefining marriage in the process. And in that process, what then do we qualify marriage? Does bestiality would fall within the confines of marriage? Because now we don't have a definitional term anymore because we're totally redefining the term without any qualification whatsoever. And so all I'm saying is, is this, is that by implication, marriage becomes totally uh, pointless and nothing uh, because we're destroying the definition of it. And all I'm saying is by implication, free Palestine protests, whether we like it or not, or whether the people uh, uh, realize it or not, are simply agreeing with a talking point that Hamas 
gives, and by that implication, they are therefore then um, endorsing what is an unjust and evil organization that I believe must be wiped off the face of the map. So that's kind of where I stand in terms of, of, of what's going on. I try to make a moral argument and I try to make a justice argument in terms of what we're saying. And I think when you do that, it's very clear. I think for, if I can add to that just a little yeah. bit, I think for American Christendom though, the one thing that we need to be careful of, and, and I, I'm speaking to fellow conservatives, and I'm, I hate to do this because I, I recognize what I'm doing here, but as somebody who actually is from Jewish heritage, I'm trying to kind of in, in include that as well. I, I have to be careful not to want revenge, mm. right? Not want revenge. Christ is blessed of the peacemakers. I mean, we, we want to be people who are who seek Israel to be able to kind of uh, deal with the situation, to remove Hamas from power, to uh, to establish a, a, a peaceful, flourishing land for all the citizens therein. Right. This is what we want. We want yeah. people displaced. We want people starving to death. We don't want children being used as human shields by by Hamas terrorists. We don't want all of these different things. Like. I, I, I want to make sure that we're really clear about that, that ultimately we're all centers saved by grace, right? And that even these, even these individuals that are over here committing these you know, atrocious acts are, are, are sinners that, that Christ died for. Yeah. Know? And so for, for me, I have to stop myself and go, okay, I need to reframe. This is a horrible tragedy. I need to reframe it and say, the reason I, I'm, I want Israel to advance. The reason I want yeah. Israel to take control of the situation and be able to eliminate it as quickly as possible is because ultimately I want peace and thriving as much human flourishing in that area as possible. Well, that, that's why they have to finish this, the, the sentence. Free Palestine from what? Free Palestine from Hamas. Yeah. And so if this Free Palestine protest was doing what they needed to be doing, yeah. they, would be, um, they would be in support of what Israel is doing. Sure. Not everything, because there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be um, things that happen in the course of war, but, but they would be supporting the elimination of Hamas. But oddly enough, that's not what they're doing. Well, they a lot of when you press, they do, they will say, from, from the river to the sea. Yeah, which is then an explicit it's endorsement of It cannot be genocidal at the end, res the end yeah. result of that. That's, yeah. that's the, uh, the whole two-party, or sorry, two-state two, uh, um, decision there. And uh, in my limited research, my limited knowledge, I'm surrounded by intellectuals, so I apologize. <laughs> um, it was 2007, Hamas came out and said that they would agree to a two-party, or a two-state solution. Yeah. However, they're not going to identify um, Israel as a nation, and it's going to go back to the 1967 lines. Um, which my issue with that, if, uh, in my Neanderthal caveman mind, is there's been over 14 conflicts and wars that Israel's been in, and they've been successful. And victory goes to the winner. The spoils go to the victor. Um, and if we look at a non non spiritual level, if you're the winner, then you get the you get the spoils. And each time, um, Israel has they have given back. They have allowed the Palestinians to to occupy lands. Did they have to? No. Yeah. Obviously, they did for peace. Um, so, so that that's a, that's kind of something that in my mind I uh, <laughs> I think about these things at yeah. a very basic level. But um, in the end, as you were stating, I think we all uh, our hearts are for the innocent women and children that have nothing to do with these things that are caught right in the middle. Nobody wants things to happen to that, but um, we, we, we're in a, a war at this point. Israel's in a war just not unlike what we were in in Vietnam, mm -hmm. where at this point is about the minds of the American people. 
the minds of the Israeli people, um, even more so than the physical what's happening there. If they can change the narrative to where Israel appears to be the oppressor, appears to be the aggressor, I think that's where Hamas really wins. They, they want American involvement. They want Israel in a full-out war inside the Gaza Strip, so that way Iran can be pulled in and, and support even more on the big global scale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, it's ultimately that right out of a propaganda playbook. Correct, correct. True. Exactly what they're doing. And, and how True. is it? Yeah. And, and what, like we've talked Which about, what does it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. What does it really look like for Israel to negotiate and to kind of maneuver through that mm -hmm. impossible puzzle, that impossible jigsaw puzzle of defending yourself, handling the true threat, and not making some absolute uh, mistake when we are seeing attacks emanating from hospitals, from schools. It, it's the same old guerrilla playbook. So, so you're saying when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he wasn't <laughs> saying, turn the other cheek and also give them your other daughter. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's good. We could, we could do a week on this stuff. Yeah, so you just made me think of, I mean, uh, even in 1948, the Arab-Israeli war, the, the peace was offered and the Arabs rejected it, which led to Israel winning and then deporting some 800,000 Palestinians to Gaza, West Bank, and Lebanon up north. So yeah, it's, you don't want to say like winners, winners, losers, losers, but there, there are implications of not taking peace deals because they, the Palestinians historically have over and over again uh, rejected a two-state, you know, two-party solution, two-state yeah. uh, solution. So if you can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, let's. I mean, I just want to be clear. It's not necessarily all the Palestinians. It's the Palestinian leadership. Correct. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah. These are these are people who these are people who ultimately will use other people's human shields. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I'll but I'll also push back and say this: that that distinction is that's a very difficult fine. to make sometimes mm. when you. Um, I'll just give you, for instance, kind of an antiquated example, but when you see um, planes flying into the Twin Towers and you see Palestinian civilians, not Hamas, Palestinian civilians dancing in the street, rejoicing over the death of American citizens. Mm -hmm. So I, obviously, I think your point is well taken, and, we need, and I think as Christians we need to be conscientious and careful. Um, but, I, but in all reality, I also think that it's a little bit, it's a little bit difficult to to parse sometimes Palestinians as just average citizens and um, and their leadership, um, especially when they seem to take the same positions. So uh, that line of distinction needs to be known, but it is also sometimes hard to figure out what that looks like. Sure. Chris, would you say, when you think about Nazi Germany, mm -hmm. There, we do know, I mean, there were some famous ones, right? There were some famous Germans who looked on at what was being done and they recognized that it was evil. Schindler. I don't know that we've ever been able to get a percentage of Nazi Germany, but it might be something like this, meaning I, I love your heart and it, it is the heart of Christ to, and certainly scripture commands us, do not avenge yourselves, right? So... I don't know how you felt, you even personally as a Jew, with sure. real Jewish heritage. Sure. Um, I can confess that when I, when, you know, I, there was something in me that was, um, it was beyond hurt. I mean, I wept, sure. but, but there was, there was, I mean, I don't know if, and this is talk, talk about sort of contrary, but I, I don't know if, the heart of Christ is in you. If there wasn't some fair amount of anger, when you when right, I mean, this was a it was a slaughter, mm. and 
So I, I, I appreciate that is, it is important for us to not cross that line. Mm-hmm. Justice will, will leave in his hands. I will avenge, says the Lord. Um, I agree with you that that particular piece, I think in Chris's guarded, appropriate heart to, to say, I don't want to cross a line and head towards vengeance. You know, this is what you did to my sure. people. Sure. Um, you've got family, you've got a history with this that actually suffered at that, that you have ho- people that yeah. were crushed in the Holocaust. Yeah. So it would be easy to have a root of bitterness and a root of anger to take over. Um, I think there is something to be said about we, this is this is precarious mm-hmm. um, when it comes to so we would say we, we would stand with anyone in under Palestinian rule that also calls evil evil. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's difficult right now for anyone in the West is this idea of evil. I mean, we've watered what evil is. We've so we've so dismantled the whole concept that now it talk about propaganda we've got we've got the adversary we've got the evil perpetrators as victims yeah and the the innocent slaughtered victims as the evil perpetrators i mean that's woe to you who call evil good and good evil i mean this is a profound switch there's always propaganda in war but you know I, i still wonder whether or not especially we in the, in the West, the church struggles also with where to stand in a particular place like this, because we might not be so sure what evil is and what evil isn't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of, yeah. that's sort of fallen to yeah. us. In a way. I think that's on full display as we see these free Palestine protests. Yes. Yes. Because that's a, di- it's a disregard for what was evil. What is evil? Yeah. So yeah. you don't stand Right, and any you don't want to be anywhere near the side of championing something that that is blatantly, patently evil. Yeah. But it, I, I just get I get nervous about the idea of embodying evil within a uh, within some sort of real cogent framework. Like this is an evil thing that is embodied by a human being. Right. And sometimes sometimes I've heard rhetoric. I've heard rhetoric that from 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 some people who I would probably disagree with a little bit politically who say, well. You know, I'm going to put evil, and evil is going to be encased within this individual, this one individual. Like, I think we're all capable of evil Certainly. because of our simple nature. Sure. Right? And we're all, like I said, you know, you guys are all in agreement on this. We're all, we're all fallen. We're all fallen. We all need Christ as grace. Um, and uh, and ultimately, ultimately, we all deserve to be crushed. You know, we're, 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 the possibility of us talking about Ohio and what happened in Ohio with abortion, you know, like, we are a part of that society. We deserve total divine retribution. Yeah. God to come down and just wipe us out. Yeah. And then ultimately, I, I hope that I hope that there is about enough nuance there to where God can say, "Well, you know, Chris, you were against that. You're vocal against that. You, but I can I can separate those two things away." That's what I worry about. Is that we we obviously we're a lot rougher tools as human beings, and you know, sometimes we just end up with. Uh, we end up with very blunt objects to kind of deal with, uh, with situations that are tough. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, um, you, as you, you both mentioned in history is perfect, is recorded perfectly. You don't, there is no solution. There is no, there is no peace sure. with someone whose blatant objective is your destruction. So you, and you look on and you go, 
it, you know, as, as far as it depends whether you live at peace yeah. with all people. You cannot live at peace with people who say, given the chance, we will, we, from the river to the sea, we will, we will make a genocide of you, yeah. given the chance. And you go, want to enter a peace project? Would you like that peace? It's in, that, that's a, that's a, when they're telling you, I have no desire for peace. And this, you know, this gets in the warp and woof sometimes of just life and relationships, right? But when a people tell you, and they have been evilly indoctrinated from youth, from infancy, mm-hmm. The Jews somehow bear some satanic mark that needs to be that needs to be eradicated from the planet. There isn't a peace to be had with that. I mean, that is evil, and you don't make a pact with evil. It, evil needs to be eradicated. And again, these are this is a harsh yeah. position, but you're not taking the position. And I think, and Israel seemingly yeah. has demonstrated something profoundly different. Than Hamas. Yeah. I mean, they're dropping leaflets. They're they're literally trying to make ways of escape for 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 citizens, for innocent citizens, yeah. civilians, and yet Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, Palestinian Authority will literally uh, compensate anyone who murders a Jew. Your family will be compensated. So it's Hamas, Palestinian Authority. I mean, all that's really murky. Yeah. But in the end, I, I think. You can't make a peace, a pact with evil. I think, yeah, I think the one thing I'll say is that, like Israel, they could turn, they could turn uh, the Gaza Strip, they could turn uh, the West Bank into glass if they want to. Like they have the they firepower could... to do that. They could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I need to be so blunt about it like that. Like they, they have, like, they have the power to do that, and they're risking uh, members, IDF members' lives by going into these tunnels and going and trying to find people. And, and doing surgical precision tactics to try to remove Hamas from, from yeah. power, right? I asked you briefly before yeah. on camera, because we're watching all these protests, right? These pro-Palestinian, <clears throat> anti-Semitic. And, we're, and we have heard, I've, today I heard of several different Jews who have been killed all around our, around our country and around the world just simply for being Jewish. You know, you are a Jew. Do do you? Number one, do you do you presently have a? Do you have? Do you watch your back right now in a way that you haven't in a recent time? Number one and number two, does it mean anything to you that a group of spirit-filled Christians say we we're with you? I mean, we we would have your back. That's really I would stand with you sure, sure, sure. against any evil, let alone this particular scenario. Uh, obviously, with me, it's a little bit different. My dad's a my dad's a gentile, and there's a you know I've got I've got kind of a different sure, I mean, you know <clears throat> different overall kind of look in some ways. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that with at least talking to my Jewish friends, Jewish relatives, my you know speaking with my mother quite a bit about this, like there's there's a sense of vigilance. Like we hey we need we've let our guard down, and we're talking about within a lifetime. We have members. Uh, members, we have members of the public who survived concentration camps and still have tattoos, right? And they're going, mm. "Here we go again. What is going on?" But now this is a global hunt. You know, this is this is changing. Um, I think that it's a, it's, it's, I think it's definitely a challenge. But the, the one thing that's a little bit different is that we have seen, we have seen support from from churches. You know, mm-hmm. um, this is. You know, I, I love that I'm a part of a church, and just to be clear, I'm not a religious Jew. I'm a, I was, my, you know, this descendant of, of Jews from Eastern Europe. 
But I, uh, uh, I love being a part of a church that is actively willing to build bridges to the Jewish population because the Jewish population has always felt completely alone. Yeah, well, yeah. Just, yeah. always felt alone. We can see in real time why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sorry. target on your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, let's also recognize that uh, America is not faultless in this uh, uh, whole paradigm of Christian morality either, as we consistently look at um, a world that seems uh, not just tolerant of, but absolutely obsessed with the culture of death. So um, many of you guys uh, are already familiar with uh, what took place in Ohio and how uh, they just enshrined abortion up to the third trimester in the state of Ohio. Now, there's been a lot of talk, and so I want to talk with you guys about this. There's been a lot of talk about the the strategy with which Republicans, conservatives, even Christians approach the issue of life and whether or not we're losing these battles because of the way that we're approaching it. So um, I'll give you kind of my take on this in a moment, but I just want to get reactions first and foremost to a video that I'm about to show you. Now, this is in the aftermath of what took place in Ohio um, with the enshrining of abortion up to the third trimester. So this is just a crowd of people who uh, got the news originally uh, that I think it was issue one, um, uh, the third trimester, uh, up to third trimester abortions would uh, be enshrined in state constitution. Abortion is health care. And abortion access is the law of the land in Ohio. Tonight, Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights passed issue one and put Ohioans back in charge of their decisions about pregnancy and abortion. Together, we successfully enshrine the right to reproductive freedom into the Ohio Constitution. All right, fellas. So, <laughs> well, first of all, it's classic Renaissance propaganda. Like with with having the the woman standing with the baby right next uh, to her. yeah, that's like oh, this is fine. I didn't These even catch that. Love children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, that was one of the things that stuck out to me too. Yeah, it's wild. Well, she was on her way to deliver it to Moloch. It's just out of frame, bro. There's a Babylon B uh, article that had uh, it said they're changing the mascot for from the Buckeye to to Molech. <laughs> Speaking of Babylon B, Seth Dillon, I think he's the CEO. He said, "If if abortion, oh, saying abortion is healthcare is like saying rape is lovemaking." Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll say this: so God has given women a profound gift. That's to bring life, mm-hmm. and for us to tamper with that at all is an injustice against God in my opinion and um, it's it's shameful um, beyond that I think that um, as Christians we should be able to easily stand upon the the rock of the word and say that murder is wrong and that abortion is murder um, we're going to take one percent um, of the statistics and use that as our motive to allow it and um, it's an extremely slippery slope to say the least and, uh, it's a shame that, that we've allowed our country to get that, get that way in, a, in that same inclusivity. 
that we are allowing to seep into the church is the same, that's that same rotten tomato, rotten apple um, that is allowing these things to happen because we can't stand and say, hey, that's wrong. Because mm -hmm. we, and I, I will say this too, um, there's grace and there's forgiveness, there's mercy for those that have had abortions. Um, and uh, it's hard to get to that kind of conversation with somebody um, when it's so polarized as it is. Now. Yeah. You don't get this, the chance to talk to the people that are saying, um, I had an abortion and that's why I support abortion because it wasn't a good time in my life or whatever the, the situation is, whatever they say. But I think that's the biggest issue that people need to understand is that um, as Christians, we understand that there's grace and mercy for people that have made decisions like that. But at the same time, we can't sit and say, hey, this is the, this is the right path for our country or for anyone for that matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, other reactions to the video because there's something that stuck out to me and I wonder if it stuck out to anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think our degree of dogmatism surrounding any cultural issue should be directly proportional to God's heart on the issue. Like This shouldn't be controversial to say. In other words, would I be equally, this is a black and white issue about friggin' taxation is I will be abortion? N no. Sure. Right, because I don't think God has an equal amount of hatred for higher taxes as he does. We can have the talk about taxes, but right? So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I honestly wish he had answered the question differently about taxes, but whatever. I mean, all right. I mean, I know you will, Mr. Jones, Alex Jones, but you lived over here. I don't want to trigger anybody. Trigger warning. Put a trigger warning on the video. So, so yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I just think you're, the degree to which you oppose something and how vehemently you do so legislatively or maybe even personally, not that there's not pastoral concerns, kind of like you mentioned, if you're talking to a woman or whatever, should be in direct relationship to the degree to which God hates the thing. And I, I just, there's just no, there's no half victories on this. Yeah, no. Some things there's no compromise. I'm not about to preach here. Yeah. <laughs> Some things you can't compromise on. So I really want to dovetail off of that because that's really what I want to spend a lot of our time talking about. The one thing I noticed about that video is that we don't really, and the left doesn't tolerate lobbyists getting into the middle, or so they say, getting into the middle of electoral issues and influencing elections. But what you just saw there was the director of Planned Parenthood. Um, I don't know if it was a branch or for the whole state of Ohio, celebrating with a group of people over this issue that they inevitably spent millions of dollars to try to get behind to make sure that it went through. So it's interesting to me that we've got national news coverage about a lobbyist in, uh, organization fighting for the usurpation of laws in a uh, local state election. So suffice to say, that's what kind of stuck out to me. And it's it's become so common that it doesn't, we're not even less like, how is this not an issue? Um, but more importantly is the whole idea of strategy and proportionality here again comes up is, all right, so what we're hearing a lot of Republicans conservatives say is that we need some moderation on this issue or we're gonna keep on seeing what took place. So quick timeline. We um, lost the 2020 election, if you're a Republican. Um, 2022, we thought, oh, Biden has destroyed everything the man can put his hands on. We're going to see a red wave. It didn't come to pass. Mm -hmm. And then we see other things happen along the way, and especially what just took place in Kentucky and in Ohio, where uh, Democratic mayor gets elected, or sorry, governor gets elected back into the state of Kentucky. And then we see things like what took place in Ohio with this abortion law being enshrined. So the idea is that ultimately, well, you Republicans, what's causing all these losses? Well, of course, it's because you guys are uh, have overturned Roe v. Wade, and that's motivated a base of Democratic voters to rebel and then to get proactive and to really start voting in these kind of elections. So that's the narrative that we're hearing all, all over. And then 
then we're also hearing conservatives kind of buttress that argument and say, well, you know, we need to kind of moderate, we need to play the long game here, and we need to kind of just start slowly but surely with these kind of uh, less restrictive abortion bans on a, on a local level, and then we can start winning. And if you care about life, you'll play the long game. All right, so what I want to get is kind of some of your response to that narrative that we're hearing in terms of a moderate approach towards abortion, and if that becomes the quote-unquote winning, uh, the way to win on this issue. Well, to what Jesse just said, no. Meaning what you just heard, not only was it classic whatever you said propaganda, because <laughs> uh, you, you know things I don't know, uh, a lot of things I don't know, but but also that was a the entire thing was a narrative that it's a non it's a non starter for us. Yeah, Re reproductive rights is uh, re uh, abortion is a reproductive right. You're like no no that isn't it at all. Yeah, as when long as we continue continue along the lines of their faulty premise, you lose. Mm -hmm. And so and and in the end, you know, by all means. Uh, I like to say I'm, I'm hope to be more of a preservative than a conservative. You know, I mean, I, I'm here yeah. to actually preserve anything that's good, beautiful, and true that God's made. After that, I'm not. I don't really care. In the end, I don't think you're going to legislate morality. We're not going to stop people from the kind of behavior that leads to quote unquote unwanted pregnancy. But in the end of the day, you look on and you go, "We're not even. We're not even at the table mm. when it comes to the discussion because we're, we're the whole premise is broken." Mm -hmm. Like we're, we, you can't win an argument when you haven't even built the foundational That's idea my, yeah. of what this That's is or isn't. Too. So we're not. So we're as long as we talk about rights. Well, then you're going to continue to lose, and you're going to be you'll be tempted to sort of do the let's play the long game. Which, by the way, pro life people have done for how long to 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 what effect? Mm -hmm. Zero. We we've walked like you said. You you're gonna you're gonna compromise on something that is foundationally wrong in the first place. So we're not even having the discussion. If, you wanted, if we wanted to start to reframe the discussion, you, back, you go back to where does life begin? You, know, you go back to the viability, you go back to all these sort of foundational pro-life positions, biblical positions on life, and you fight there. Yeah. And you fight there because it's right, not because necessarily you can win. And right, you know, truth does have a capacity all its own to stand for itself. Mm -hmm. So we, I, I, you know, you wonder, does anybody, we had a, a pro-life speaker come from Mother's Day a couple years ago, and it was, it was, it was a, um, it was a bold move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a bold move. But I'll tell you what, I also had a dear friend of mine that had two abortions in her past. Mm. She had been wounded for two decades, easy. And I mean, I, bro, I, I sat at a dinner table with her one night after she told me and my, my wife, dear friends of ours, and it was like, I watched two decades of shame mm. and pain. Yeah, it was like, I, 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 and then I went, oh, man, I tell you what, that happened, that healing happened. But not because we, we talked to her about there was a ride, and, you, and, we, and by all means, there's grace and there's forgiveness, and she experienced it in a powerful way. But it happened because someone wanted to stand up and say, this is what that is. And as long as we continue to call something not what it is, well, then you've got a culture that will never have to grapple with what it is. Yeah, and right. women and men won't have to grapple with what it is. So we're not even, we're not even at the table from a conservative perspective because we're, have, we're, we're, we're using their sort of leftist class, you know, beautiful, their narratives are, it's always a narrative that you go, this, is, this, this, this isn't even the issue, but yeah. we're actually having dialogues about something that's not even the issue. 
So you could fill up the Grand Canyon with the kind of ignorance on this issue that exists in our culture because of how much the left has dominated the narrative. I, I think about the verse, uh, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Yeah. And you, you, what do you, you want an election, but you cut out all your morals? Yeah. You know, yeah what's well, an election worth if, um, if you have nothing, you have nothing left, just, oh, I won, I won, and that's, yeah. that's what I feel like. Uh, for, definitely for this issue. You know what's funny is that, they, well, there are, yeah, I love what all of you guys are saying, honestly. The, um, to go back to the idea of the 1%, I mean, a lot of this are actually handled by emergency DNC. They have the rape incest stuff you hear all the time. This is a lot of that. If, if it's reported, and I know people say, well, you don't report it and things happen. <clears throat> but a lot of that's happened, that's actually taken care of in the hospital immediately afterwards. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> all of a sudden, that, that statistic even goes down further, right? Right. right? And I mean, if we're talking about just sheer numbers, 99% versus 1%, I, I hate to be too pragmatic about that, but it's different. <clears throat> we, you, would, you would never take a bet that's 1% against 99%. You just yeah. wouldn't. The, I, I do love what the church is doing, though. This is, the, the thing that's really fascinating about this juxtaposition is that the, the, um, the left progressive progressives in America are using this issue, and we're, they're, they're addressing well, I think one of the reasons why they're winning so much is because they, ha they have been so uh, legislatively focused on this, right? And uh, I know that I know Roe v. Wade was overturned, and there were things that happened with that. But but I think that one of the reasons why the left is able to capture hearts and minds is because they appeal to the very they appeal humanism, mm -hmm. right? It's sort of like we're taking away your autonomy. But the church, the amazing work that happens inside the church to support women, and oh. and that's happens under cover of darkness that people don't yeah. know yes. happens. Yeah. yeah. My not to not to go back to this, uh, Pastor Frank, but my wife had two abortions. Um, before she became a Christian, um, it was um, she became a Christian um, later in life, and this is before I met her, and and uh, and we had to deal with the trauma of that. And she she is very um, uh, she's very vehemently uh, pro-life. She went through post-abortion counseling. We went through the process of adopting both of the children at the National Memorial for the Unborn. Um, and it was unbelievably painful. And she, she didn't grow up within a uh, Christian worldview whatsoever, but she knew, she knew she was using it as birth control, and she knew that she was doing the wrong thing, and, uh, and she has had to live with that mantle. And, they, yeah. and, and um, it, is, it, 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 was a, it was a thing that in some ways almost destroyed her at times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that that's what's so difficult about seeing this, is that you have, this is, this is just hedonism. It's just cheering for hedonism. I mean, let's be plain. That's what it is. And, and there's so much freedom in walking apart from that. And I, I, it's, it it's very re repels me mm -hmm. to see that. Well, then, again, I, I just, it, it, this is simple as it gets, but someone... To, for us to be silent, right? I mean, the the pain, the loss of life, um, the shrapnel, the baggage, the baggage. I mean, it's 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 uh, yeah. So the the fact that we're not at the table with a message that is stronger, clearer, um, that we're deeply convicted. Um, is is uh, you know it's 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 sad because these these things happen in the wake of our silence mm -hmm. and that's that's the thing I, I, that to me is just 
you know, we, what happens? You know, the other thing that came to mind with that group there, you think there's a passage in scripture right now, it's not coming to my mind, but there's, there's a group of people that don't know their right hand from their left hand. Mm -hmm. And so you have this sort of celebrating and this chanting and this victory around something that is, you just go like, they, you want to weep. Like they are sheep without a shepherd. They have no idea. This, this, they've, been, they've been sold a bill of lies that this is going to be the most liberating. Right now you've got equality, young woman. You can be exactly like a man. You can go into a sexual relationship and come out unscathed just like him. Yeah. That just simply is, it's, 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 it is a lie. And, it, and again, to not tell the truth, we become complicit uh, and, and we, <laughs> well, yeah. And we become complicit because we don't care enough because we're so concerned with, um, our reputation or whatever, or the way in which we will be perceived that we don't care enough to save people from the heartache that inevitably comes with an abortion. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, I think it's a, a huge, um, misunderstanding of the sanctity of law. Um, the miracle of a, of the process for you to, to be born and to grow into something, to become something, it's a, a distinct just misunderstanding of, of life that it's, it's not worth living. Um, I think that it's a societal issue that needs to be talked about. Why do we have so much mental illness? Because people don't think life's worth living. What do they have to live for? Mm. They don't even know, you know, I want to be a man today. I want to be able, I'm somewhere in between. I'm non-binary. I'm making it up as I go. Mm-hmm. And they're, oh, the Bible talked about, uh, going anywhere the wind blows and that's that's where our society is because there's no there's no permanence there's no foundation there's nothing to grasp onto so you say saying that made me think about something do you think that the sin of transgenderism is the same sin of abortion um the original sin we shall be as gods in that we think we can dictate what gender we are, and then we also think that we can dictate what deserves to live. So it's kind of the usurpation of God's power and trying to grab it to ourselves. And 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 in the midst of the, maybe being a godless person, trying to find that anchor and trying to create the gods within ourselves that we so desperately, um, the God within ourselves that we so desperately need. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think to, to yeah. make it easy, yeah, I think so. And absent of God, then you're going to attempt to make yourself mm-hmm. God, whatever that looks like to you. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes it's just ad, it's advantageous for people because it's the uh, the sheep thing to do. And I'm not, I'm not saying for me, for sure, but I think with people without direction, without a, an end goal or an understanding of who they are when they're out there searching and they hear this, oh, man, that's something that people will respect me or people will like me. And so it kind of goes back to that, just not knowing who they are. Yeah. You know, Christ abides in us as we abide in Him, and that's that's what sets the the forefront. That's what puts everything, brings the chaos to order, brings us into focus. Mm. And without that, it's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, liberty, liberty, right, unchecked, just unrivaled, just mm-hmm. hedonist, whatever you want, whatever the flesh wants. Um, without any, without any bear, without any boundary. We've got kids. We raise children. Um, and you, you look on and you, and we were sons, uh, sons of moms and dads. And, you know, I had a father who had a family where I was disciplined and I was disciplined greatly at 18 years old. My, I came home and my dad had packed up all my goodies and left them in the garage. And I I got the message. It's like, it's for me, you know, you're not doing this here. You're not going to live like that. 
And I look back and I, I, to this day, I respect him because he, he wasn't going to tolerate, um, he wasn't going to stand by and be a willing party to my destruction. He was going to, he was going to, he drew a line. Mm. And so laws, right? I mean, you come back to laws what you were talking about earlier. I agree with you that we're not going to see culture redeemed, right? Christ is the only redeemer. So I, there is a fine line that we have to navigate when we're trying to sort of get in the public arena and fight for policy that would not destroy people. Makes me think a little bit about like, we, we would probably all agree that um, the, these 12-step uh, program, Alcoholics AA, mm -hmm. hasn't led anyone through the gates of, the, of heaven, right? No, no one's been born again, redeemed by AA. They have been protected. Like they, they've been, they've been spared to the point that they, those guidelines, those principles were helpful to, to the preserving of the soul. Perhaps they did meet not the higher power, like the higher power, the highest power and came and came to faith. And so some of our contending in the public square is similar. It's like, let's stand up for what's right and true. We're not going to legislate. We're not bringing you to heaven along these ways. I'm not, there's no misgivings about that. So earlier when you talked about the fact that, you know, the principles without the prince of peace, you're not going to have peace, get the principles, you have the person of Jesus. A Amen. I mean, that's what we preach, right? It is Christ and him crucified. He's the redeemer. There's only one. But that it doesn't mean that we don't have some preserving, some conserving role within humanity who doesn't know its right hand from its left. We only know our right hand from our left as well as we do because his light did shine into our darkness. We, we don't have it, right? We weren't saved by any good merit of our own, but we do care for our common man. We do care for our fellow man in the same way that, right? So you look on and you go, there's something about us playing a part that, um, that, is, that is righteous and it is right, that, that does set the stage and is protective even though the heart is wicked and the heart is wayward and it wants whatever it wants, still you just don't go to your sons. Run out in the street and play because you would love it. Now there are guidelines. Love will tell the truth. Love will set barriers. And we kids thrive when there are barriers. You know, yeah. you, you see kids with no barriers and it is a danger, right? It's a da the child is a danger to itself. It's, it's a hindrance to the whole family. So there's, there is something right about playing a part where we, we are, the Lord likes lines. He likes boundaries. I mean, cause he he's the designer mm -hmm. and we should be a, a part of that. We should co-labor with him and trying to say, we're not saving people. I, yeah. People mistake me for some sort of right wing, you know, political activist, somehow new. I look on, I go, no, culture shifted in a hard, hard way. It's heading in a way that we've never seen it before. And I'm not advocating, I'm, uh, for that is if it's going to, I'm trying to save America. I'm not trying to save, you know, I'm not trying to, I couldn't care less about the political parties, yeah. but I do care about my common man. I'm called to care for my common man yeah. and to sit idly by with truth revealed, true inerrant truth revealed about these issues as critical as this and to go passive and neutral. Yeah is I don't think it's gospel. Or even, you know, I just don't think it's a gospel expression yeah. of... It'll be direct, uh, duty at that, at that I think, I, I think that all of us, and not just from a pulpit, yeah, but from every person. Because we've been given the truth if we don't share it. Yeah. This is why I don't think we can take the strategic long game to no. all of this. Simply because I don't think it's effective. And I also don't think that we 
really do that. We say we're doing it and we're not really doing it. All we're doing is delaying battles for the next generation to fight for us. Well, well I'll tell you what I think is interesting is you see uh -huh. that kind of response at the, in a sense, overturning of Roe v. Wade, and then you saw a, an alarming silence from the church and the pulpits across America at the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You know what I heard right when it happened? A pastor, I won't even name him. He goes up the congregation, you know, he, he starts chastising. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say this, but it felt like chastising. You know what he's saying? It's time to step up, church. Like no celebrations, and I'm sure we should step, but he was like shaming them for how, how dare this even be an issue that they need because you're not adopting enough or whatever. Uh -huh. So like, so I, I can list four probably big evangelical dudes with several thousand member churches and, that and it's did sad. that same thing. Yeah, and I, and I understand that, that there is a certain um, sensitivity that you've tapped into initially on the issue, you know, we, but it, but it is true that, you know, there, you, you can stand and should and you, you should, I mean, you should celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade in the same manner, probably a whole lot more undignified than what we just saw there. And yet, again, you go, why, why was the church on that particular issue? There? Well, we're just back into that, like, well, I wouldn't want to offend anybody. I wouldn't want to hurt anybody. You're like, well, what do you... It is. It, it really is. I mean, we, it is uh, shocking to see that level of joy over something that we know that is diabolical. Mm -hmm. And then when something that you should celebrate, right, the over, like the national mandating of this as a thing, and then we, we just kind of go silent. You go, where, what is going yeah. on so this, with us? So this is, brings to mind something I thought. Where were the town halls in Ohio from Republicans to try to help people yes. get informed about the issue that's before them, or at least to try to unravel the narrative. There's not a single Republican that doesn't understand that the left has been winning on this issue because they've been dominating the narrative. So what we just saw when we saw that clip is we saw a group of people who are not moderates, and then we saw a bunch of Republicans calling for moderation as a response to, to that, rather than education, which would help people with the obvious blindness that they have to this issue, which I've heard Ben Shapiro say this, among others, that uh, you know, if you really believe abortion is murder, then that means you want women to go to jail. Well, women don't, they don't have the appropriate mens rea or the criminal intent when they have an abortion simply because the left has won on this issue. And women literally believe that this is healthcare to exterminate the life that's in your womb. They literally believe that because the left has been winning on this issue. And the reason they've been winning is because we've been playing the long game, or at least saying we are, and taking the moderate stance rather than to undo in real time in the present uh, the narrative that has been dominating um, the West for the longest time we've on also, this issue. We've also done a terrible job selling the freedom that comes with grace. And, yeah. and I, I, I personally think, I think that we, we have a very hard time because they see this sort of conservative and fuddy-duddy and it's, it's, it's the opposite of what I want and my yeah. life is about freedom. Freedom comes from salvation. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Freedom comes from salvation. Like the only time I've ever been free was not when I was on drugs, it was not when I was just doing my own thing, it was not when I was, <laughs> like freedom, is through salvation yes, in sir. Jesus. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? And so like that, if we wanna if we wanna take this issue back, we need to start selling God's beauty, the beauty of the plan that God has for creation. You know what I mean? Like that 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 is so yeah. transcendent and it's so beyond the mm. immediate uh, disposal of a of a 
the child, the illegitimate child. Well, and to be an argumentative SOB. I think we need to poke holes in the narrative. I think we need to, I had a conversation with a guy on social media um, and he said, well, I have a friend who's a neuroscientist that said that babies all the way up until the third trimester are basically brain dead and they have the same brain waves as a brain dead patient would. Sure. And I don't even know that that's true, but, <laughs> but I'm no neuroscientist, so I don't try to pretend like I know things I don't. But um, I said to him, friend, if you, uh, you have no guarantee that a brain dead patient is going to wake up, but guess what happens when you leave that baby alone? Uh, they will wake up uh, uh, out of whatever brain dead state that they're in. So do you think that if you knew that the brain dead patient was going to wake up and be totally fine that you would pull the plug anyway? And wouldn't that be murder? And so I'm just saying, like, the, 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 the kind of things that people think about this issue is just absolutely ridiculous. And there's so much misinformation, and I only chalk that back up to the devil's good at his job, but also that we are not good at ours, which is that we have to bring the information that is necessary to people and be willing to undermine the narrative at the cost of being misunderstood, or else the narrative will go unchecked and it will continue to do what it's been doing for generations. That's good. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. So to kind of um, caveat on what you're saying, you know, I think that it's important for us to be in, totally informed on what that process looks like, what a real abortion looks like, what an actual birth looks like. Yeah. And I'm not saying we have to know every aspect of it in the details, <laughs> but um, on a basic term, to be able to speak to our coworkers, to speak to our friends when they're talking about these things. Yeah. I'll never forget, I, I saw a man on the street with live action. Live action went up to this young man and said, hey, are you for abortion? He's like, oh, well, I'm a man. I, the women should make their choice. And they said, let me show you this video. And they showed him a animated kind of like what happens in an abortion. And he's like, oh, God, no, you should never do this to anybody. Yeah. So it's like the moment you actually expose light on this issue in the midst of darkness, people start to wake up, ding, ding. And yeah. Republicans and conservatives haven't been doing it for a long time. We gotta start holding them accountable, yeah. I think. There's a, uh, a good mm. YouTube channel, I think it's called Abolitionist Rising. Yeah, I've watched a lot of them. They do a great But they're job. not pro-lifers, they're abolitionists. Yeah. That's a whole other rabbit trail, but. Yeah, <laughs> I don't wanna chase that. You ain't got time for that, yeah. It's a very, <laughs> very, very interesting correlation between um, slavery and, uh, and abortion. Absolutely. Well, if you don't uh, like abortions, don't do it. Don't look at Planned Parenthood. Yeah, it's a very yeah. interesting yeah. correlation. Yeah. 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 Almost every so, argument yeah. could be was said, actually, yeah. for yeah. pro yeah, it's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you're no one point. look into Margaret Sanger because you're not going to like Wow. Wow. Your point about the, um, the uh, political action committees or the lobbyists taking the stage is really interesting because, you, like you said, you see that everywhere. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think one of the things that a lot of um, discerning people, people with God's spirit, people can just kind of read through the, and this is a slam on the sort of neoconservative sort of war, warmongering idea. But when you've got, you know, Mitch McConnell basically saying the quiet part out loud when asked about this involvement in Ukraine, yeah. he says, uh, well, there's no Americans being killed. And we're updating all of our old, we're getting rid of all of our old, you know, uh, technology. And there's 38 states in our union that now have massive contracts to build new stuff. You sit there and you go, that's a vile. Mm -hmm. In the same way that the, that law just, which is that you could hear the money, right? At the expense of little lives. She looks on and goes, this is great. There's no, there's no conflict of interest here. She's standing there as a Planned Parenthood advocate, basically a, an abortion butchering docker, doc, you know, organization that 
With the cash register in the back. With the cash register in the back. And meanwhile, you've got, again, you know, yeah, conservatives nothing, nothing looking on here. and going, let's go to war. Why? Well, as long as no Americans get killed, we don't care. Yeah. There's a half million people dead yeah. right now in the Ukraine and Russia because we've got poor leadership that, that loves this whole idea. You're like, there's no conflict of interest here? So we should be able to look past, you know, the policy, past the party and go, what is the truth of the matter? Yeah. And where the truth of the matter is, is where we should be found. And go, we shouldn't be advocating for that either. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's an entirely different ballgame. And there's, anyways, I, I just, what you pointed out was very interesting. Yeah. No conflict of interest here? Yeah. Wow. I mean, hmm. So one historian said, the shift to the right is often exponential. Kind of the red way we didn't get but hope for is sort of theoretically possible. And there's a lot of other shifts to the right that have been exponential. The shift to the left is often incremental. Because if you think the gender stuff came out in 2020, bro, like it was, the seeds were sown, yeah. with, you know, neo-Marxist, freaking postmodern feminist, whatever, out of the 60s. So, so the left is better at incrementalism than us. And with certain issues, it just pragmatically, it doesn't work. And I think the abortion is one that just the incremental approach has failed us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that dovetails really good with our final topic that we want to talk about today, which is the um, revelation of the Nashville Shooters Manifesto that was released by um, Stephen Crowder, of, of all people. I always want to call him David Crowder, by the way. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a Christian mistake. Um, needless to say, um, because what this manifesto revealed was startling to me, and I don't want to put the cart before the horse because I'll, I'll tell why, but it has everything to do with what you just said in terms of how they are good at, at incrementalism because Oddly enough, and I'll go ahead and spoiler alert a little, um, oddly enough, this what we know about the manifesto, and it isn't that much at this point in time, because I think it was only three pages, um, and there's still much more out there, but this was all that was leaked to him. It is not what you would expect it to be. It actually shows some of the dangers of the DEI message that's being proliferated all over the culture right now, rather than what most people would assume, which it has something to do with her gender identity or something like that, or maybe persecution from other Christians or something like that. Well, we haven't actually seen that specifically as much as we've seen something else. So I'm gonna read a little bit of the manifesto for you guys with uh, some of the words edited out. Uh, one thing before I do that really quick, because I don't wanna to forget to do this. Um, I understand that nine months after the fact that this has the potential if anybody uh, that is associated with this attack listens to this or watches this, that has the potential to open up old wounds. Um, I understand that that is something that is um, troubling, problematic, to use a word from the left, and traumatic. Um, however, I do believe in this instance, while we don't want to glorify, we don't want repeaters, we don't want people listening to this, and I don't think that there's anything that we're about to say that will <laughs> will provide ammunition for that, uh, but we, we don't want... We don't want to give the impression that we're releasing this simply casually or callously. I believe that the um, the the mass benefit outweighs some of the concerns that we have with releasing what's on this manifesto. I've always believed that we need to know what's in the manifesto. It should be released. I think it's odd that we release the manifestos of leftist shooters, but never... Um, uh, sorry, the manifesto of extreme right-wing shooters, but when it comes to somebody who's clearly on the left, we're very hesitant to do that um, from the mainstream media. So suffice to say, I just want to I want to give everybody that's watching and even you guys here the impression that we're I want to do this carefully, um, but want to do it nonetheless because I believe the good outweighs the bad here, and I'm glad that Stephen Crowder got this and did release it. But 
Um, just two little portions from it I want to read to you guys because this was the most startling to me. It says, I'm a little nervous, but excited too. Been excited for the past two weeks. This shows you how mentally disturbed this young lady was. Hale allegedly wrote, she can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm ready. I hope my victims aren't. And then finally, this is the most, that was pretty startling, but this is the most startling from a different reason perspective. Uh, I want to kill all of you little C words. One page from the manifesto also reads, you bunch of little F words with your white privilege, F U U F word. Now, the reason I wanted to read that last part is because what is all over the manifesto is uh, the implications of race and the ideas of white privilege, which is so odd because this is a young white lady, which I guess she does have kind of like an intersectional um, uh, kind of benefit to a white man, but nonetheless, um, it is a young white lady who's doing this, but obviously very influenced by some of the narrative that we're hearing about race in America right now. Again, goes back to what you were saying in terms of how much that narrative has seeped into the mainstream conversation and into the mind of especially young people in Gen Z. Yeah. So uh, that was startling to me, boys. I don't know about you, but when I saw that, I was like, I was not expecting to hear that this is about diversity, equity, and inclusion, or white privilege, or the neo-Marxist kind of race uh, conversation. So what did you guys think? I mean, it was, well, it was, I just haven't been that viscerally shocked in a while. Yeah. And I saw the actual pictures with the handwriting. And again, the incrementalist thing doesn't work, man. We've, we've, we're so far behind on this cultural battle. We, we got to know when to, man, we, we, there's no compromise on this issue either. I'm not I'm trying to look over like, is, am I wrong? No. So it's like, congratulations if you, like with the Roe v. Wade, like it's great, but it goes back to the state. So like congrats on, you know, celebrating the, the yeah. battle, but you're still losing the war. Like congratulations on being the most limber corpse in the graveyard, bro. You're losing out there. And, and this, this is, I think there's like six times race is mentioned. About, like there's just fueled with racial hatred. And I got buddies that would say they're Christians, and I, frankly, I'm not even sure. The last couple of years has been so complicated. Who uh, are just all on the the white privilege narrative, man? And you got the the, the the Kellers and the Matt Chandlers and the like, my guys that are just promulgating this narrative, yeah. failing to see or just being not so discerning to see that, bro. That leftist ideas have consequences, right? I mean, so Victims. Charles Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing right from wrong. Mm. It's knowing right from almost right. Yeah, yeah. That, there's a great Mark Twain quote too. The things that get you in trouble are not the things that you know, or the things that you don't know. It's the things that you think you know that just are so. Mm. I think we're just, uh, it's just, we're seeing the fruits of uh, all the seeds that have been planted and, uh, and have been cultured and, and allowed and watered. Um, and and it, some of these things, they, they just take a little bit of truth to figure out. Um, a little biblical truth yeah. uh, would go a long way, how we're grafted in, how we're all part of that same vine, um, and that the vine dresser's got to come through and cut some stuff off sometimes. Yeah. And it doesn't feel good when he does that, but he got to do that sometimes. But it's back to that same point where people don't know who they are. And when they don't know and they're not grounded in Scripture, they're not grounded in the Lord, they don't know who they are. And that's, um, to me, that's something that this world will just take those people and it will create in them what it wants. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're a tool of the devil, for lack of a better description. Mm -hmm. and, 
Um, I think that's what this case was. And of course, we all have been done wrong at some point in our life, but what are we going to do with that? Yeah. What are we going to do with that, those emotions? And, and I think that's that what's happened is just a, it's just a product of our culture. And, and, and let's just wrap this up quick because I, I think the ultimate conclusion, and I think you guys would agree with this, is that ideas have consequences. And when we say that, we're not just saying, um, you know, ideas are harmful to the individual's emotional psyche, right? No, we're actually, what we're actually talking about here is that these kind of ideas that are being promulgated right now have the implication to take life. Let me give you just a really quick example of this. I was gonna show this, but um, I don't know that we have the time, but just yesterday, I believe, a um, man in Panama uh, that was stopped in traffic because of climate protesters got out of his car, shot two of those climate protesters that were blocking the road, um, and then that man was arrested, of course. Um, and, and I know we're supposed to say allegedly shot, but like we have the, we have the video, um, so pretty sure. Yeah. And the, the, the picture that's been going around is the shell casing right in front of the guy's eyes. Anyway, it's, it's, it's terrific. It, it's horrible. It's awful. And. Um, while we would never excuse such an act of evil, the reality is, is who didn't see this coming as a result of what these climate protesters have been doing all over the place? Because there is unfortunately crazy people in this world, people who are having bad days and don't know how to process their emotions, especially on the road. I mean, I don't know if you've driven in Tennessee before, um, but, uh, but who didn't see this coming as a consequence of this kind of radical climate Activism, and so the point is, is that when we say ideas have consequences, we mean ideas can cost lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that it's important to recognize about this Nashville Manifesto shooter and why it's important to, to reveal it and perhaps why it was not disclosed in the first place. I think to frame these within three philosophical frameworks, and please yell at me if I'm being ridiculous here. Quit being but, a nerd. <laughs> When we talk about life, we talk about morale, like moral structure, you, we probably have listeners that are going to go, you guys are modernists. You guys are totally modernists. This is all out of enlightenment. You, you're living in the, a past age, right? If we move into post-modernity, we go, well, everything is ultimately about my, my narrative, right? It's about my finding my truth. Yeah. I, and I've argued this. Reed, you've talked about this on, on a past episode of Indie Thinker. The idea of meta-modernity, right? That we are living, we are we are able to live in a world where I'm able to use violence. I use violence as a modernist structure to mm. achieve my personal goals, and I have no regrets whatsoever about that because I know I live in a postmodern state. It's weird. They call it they call it uh, living in informed naivety, right? So what you're doing is you're going, I'm going to marry the idea mm -hmm. that there's mm -hmm. no truth, there's no there's no objective reality, there's no nothing to these like structures of the past. It's one of the reasons why. In Ohio, they love, they're like, they're freaking out. They're like, government did its job. It's protecting us. It's giving us, you know, abortion rights. Because they love the idea of government and structure, but they go, ultimately, there's, there's no meaning behind killing a baby. It doesn't yeah. matter, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. we do, when we extrapolate that, that worldview and everything we do, we end up with, and Jesse, if, correct me if I'm wrong, you did some graduate work in mental health as well, yeah. right? So you and I have both done some, some, some work in psychology, uh, graduate work in psychology. When we, when we continue to see more iterations of the DSM rolling out and, and, and classifications of diagnoses going away and saying, well, that's no longer a thing, that's no wow. longer a thing, we're just, we're just wading into deeper, murkier waters, right? And, and, and our truth is our, own, our only truth. The, the structures are out there and they exist, but they don't actually mean anything. 
we are just we're just completely riding over this objective reality and saying yeah. like there is no such thing as objective reality. Yeah. We can all have our own truth. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to toss that. Yeah, out. that's good. Well, I think what's unique about this particular scenario and what we watch with the George Floyd um, situation. Um, and some of your friends, I think, sort of caught up in this. The church uh, is rightly predisposed to mercy. I mean, the church is like, we're the people who care. I mean, genuinely, we really are. So when, you know, when you see the images of the George, when you see George Floyd with a man with a, you know, with a, with a, yeah. with a knee on his neck, you know, uh, when you, 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 we're prone to sort of, we're, we're we, the, we, we care about the plight. We care about the fact that, the, that we're talking to a real human being who's been done wrong. We care about that. But strangely, we can't see past the the, the fact that this is this uh, whole construct that has this young woman, white young woman, decrying race, white whiteness. And the church, you know, bending, you know, bowing down and apologizing for whiteness. We're failing to see that none of that is this. It is. This, it isn't true. It's all fabricated on something that isn't true. There is a true truth, and we seem to be church folks. We seem to be predisposed to the to the tender, and some more than others. You know, you folks that really have mercy as a predominant spiritual gift and framework for who they really are. They're like, oh gosh, I just hate to see injustice. I hate to see someone done wrong. Okay. And, and every right, every true Christian does. Right. But then again, don't swallow the entire dragon and, and, and make all of it this because this is the byproduct. Yeah. And so that's, that's why I look on and I go, golly, why? So, so sad. The discernment quote was so good that we, we in the church missed we, we, we adopted something that wasn't true and then we functioned from there and now we get, now we've got this, or we're actually functioning in a way that's unbe like, we're apologizing for sins we never committed. You know, we're, 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 you know, you, it's, it's impossible. It's there's no redemption in that, but we buy the law. You know, you know, Joe Rigney associated with Douglas Wilson in Moscow. He was at Bethlehem at Piper's church before, but he got some hot water talking about empathy last year saying, he would just say, we've gotten to this point because of untethered empathy, right? Where someone's drowning and we're, we just jump in headlong with them, right? As opposed to a biblical sympathy is, I got to keep one foot on the, grab the branch and grab, grab the light preserver. Oh, you're just judging me from the shore. Yeah. What? You're drowned? Right. I, I, I don't want to throw you a feel good anvil. I don't want to jump in with you. I want to throw you a life preserver, bro. Mm -hmm. And so, and so I just think we got to get to this yeah. point where a, a true biblical empathy has one foot on a correct worldview from which to speak truth into, into darkness. Yeah. We're not called to be therapeutic. We're called to be truth tellers because truth is one of the most benevolent things that we can do. And I think that that's kind of what we'll wrap up with and just say, if we're going to take the gospel seriously, if we're going to take people seriously, then a people steeped in lies, well, I don't know if you remember that Goebbels quote, but if you want people to believe something uh, that's a lie, tell them that same lie over and over and over again. And then, by the way, what happens as a result of that? Well, we saw in World War II, and not to use these hackneyed over, you know, overused examples, but the truth is, is that there are consequences to ideas. There are consequences to a world steeped in lies, and we're seeing it with this Nashville shooter. We're seeing it with abortion. We're seeing it in Israel, and 
all around. So maybe that kind of puts a bow on everything as we, as we wrap up and just say, we as Christians have an obligation to stand for truth as the most radical, and especially in our present culture, mm. as a radical act of benevolence. Because there are a few people who will, because they're so concerned with how they will be perceived. And so in that, we're we're selflessly loving people if we stand up for the truth. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. And thank you guys for watching. We'll do this five more times. So can't wait to do it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Reed. Thanks, Reed. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.